Hello, and welcome back to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. This week, I speak with Jenna Crane, the Director of Product Marketing at Clavio, on bringing new product lines to market. In this interview, you'll hear how to evaluate the success of a product launch, thoughts on recognizing the evolution of your company narrative, and also how to structure your team and champion your own successes within the tech world. As Jenna puts it, when your team is more successful, you are more successful. Love that. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm here today with Jenna Crane, the Director of Product Marketing at Clavio. Jenna has a storied PMM career and has also held leadership roles at Drift, Clara, Dropbox, Upwork, and many more. She also started her career as a journalist, and this has helped influence her point of view as a product marketer, especially when it comes to narrative building and positioning. Cannot wait for this conversation. Welcome, Jenna. So glad to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Well, let's start out with our favorite question from this season, which is, what are you the most proud of? Yeah, so much. Immediately, what came to mind professionally was the team I've been lucky enough to bring together here at Clavio. We kind of joke it's a just add water product marketing team because we've gone from two people in February to we're 10 right now, and hopefully we'll be 13 by the end of the year. Quick plug, we are hiring, come work with us. But it's been such an amazing opportunity to talk to so many great product marketers over the past, you know, 10 months and pick out really the best to help build this function. Everyone is just incredibly talented and really smart and high slope and curious, collaborative, humble, and of course, just generally wonderful people that I really enjoy working with. So they have these great diverse backgrounds that come together in, you know, such a strong way. And I'm really lucky to work with all of them. So that's what I'm really proud of professionally. Yeah. Congratulations. And just on that note, Where can people learn more about the roles that are available on your growing team? Yeah, absolutely. So at clavio.com slash careers, you can go search for product marketing. We are hiring PMMs and senior PMMs right now and kind of indefinitely. So make sure to check it out or you can just send me a note on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to connect with, with people who are looking. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, let's not stop you there. I want to hear what else you're proud of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, I'd be remiss to not say personally, I'm really proud to have created and brought into the world another human being. (laughs) It's really pretty great. Uh, Just the human body is incredible. So that's one of the things in my life I'm most proud of. Amen to that. Well, that is so amazing. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Crushing it in your career, being a mom, it's so hard to do. So I I certainly think those are things to be proud of. And I applaud you for that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, let's hear about your current role at Clavio. I'd love to hear more about what you do as sort of the director of product marketing and what Clavio is all about. Yeah, definitely. So Clavio is a customer data and marketing automation platform, and we help e-commerce entrepreneurs and marketers unlock the power of their data to drive more growth. So we make it really easy for them to send these hyper-personalized and really relevant email and SMS communications at scale that are informed by their own data. So I lead the, the core product marketing team here at Clavio. We have a team of 10 that's responsible for messaging and positioning, launching new products and features, shaping the product roadmap, 
enabling our customer facing teams like sales, customer success and partnerships, helping the rest of the company deeply understand our different customer segments, as well as our competitive landscape and leading the go-to-market strategy and execution for new product lines and offerings. So pretty much checking the box of everything that product marketing does. <laughs> pretty much. It's just, it's traditional product marketing. Yeah. We sit alongside developer marketing, integrated campaigns, and customer advocacy within the product marketing team. But most of what you consider traditional PMM falls within our team. And I'm curious, how do you typically organize your team? Do people have full stack responsibilities or do you organize it by the functions that you listed out? Yeah, we're playing around with it a little bit. We're in a really unique situation where, you know, for the first seven, eight years of Clavio's history have been entirely focused on deeply understanding customers and building products that solve their needs. So we didn't really build out the the marketing team until this year. So this is the first time we've had a traditional product marketing function. All of these urgent business needs that we need to account for in the day-to-day as well as a whole foundation to build. So the way we're structuring it now is we have a team of product-focused folks who are embedded with the different product teams and help them shape the roadmap and deeply understand the, you know, the jobs to be done that they're trying to do with that product area and bring those features to market. We have a team that is entirely responsible for our SMS product. So we launched that in late March and that's its own business line. So they're kind of the marketing GMs for that product line. And then we have a foundation team. So they do messaging and positioning and they partner with the other marketing teams to make sure that we land that messaging on our website and all of our campaigns. And they also own segment marketing. So they deeply understand each of our customer segments and and make sure that we have the most differentiated and and valuable offerings for them. That's really clever. So it, it depends on maybe this isn't the right word, but the maturity of the business and what is needed kind of in each area, whether they're working really on that market validation with the product teams and the roadmap or the core positioning or managing those newer business lines. You have it segmented by that. That's really great. Yeah. We've tried to optimize it for what everyone kind of spikes on. So we have people who are just exceptional at messaging and positioning. And we really want them to lean into that and help build out that foundation. We have amazing people who are super organized and can bring new products to market and run these huge quarterly launch events and run the campaigns for that and build the narrative. So we kind of have these areas of excellence or, you know, core centers of excellence. And the idea is that people will rotate through these. So no one, you know, gets bored, but everyone can flex their certain skill sets and then then go from there. I think the takeaway for me listening to all of these conversations I'm having with, with the women in product marketing that share their organizational structures is there's not one size fits all, mm-hmm. <laughs> which exactly. is exciting as a product marketer too, as a leader, but also if you're kind of getting into the career, finding what works for you. So I think it's a little bit intimidating sometimes when we talk about full stack product marketers mm-hmm. and you have to be the all around athlete and Certainly by the time you get to be a senior product marketer, you would sort of expect that, but you have to get in the door some way. So it's Mm -hmm. awesome to hear there are teams that are really specialized in different areas that help you build that skill set and are really, you know, driving towards a particular goal at a certain time. I think that's an awesome way to just build your own toolkit. So that's just something I've noticed too. And I don't know if you've done it differently at different companies. 
Absolutely. And what I've learned as well is that it really does depend on the company, on their sales motion, you know, whether they're product led or sales and marketing led, the stage of the maturity, what might work super well at one company, you know, to be organized by product line, for example, is just not going to serve the business needs at, at a company in a different stage of growth with different business needs. So there is also some flexibility and agility that you need to bake into the process there. Absolutely. Well, I know you have a lot of areas of expertise. In fact, you've done a few AMAs as shareholders <laughs> on many podcasts before, but something I wanted to dig into with you is bringing new product lines to market. And I, I know that that's an area that you're really passionate about. So I'd love to hear more about that. Well, how is it different than just launching a product in an existing suite that is already there? So I'd love to pick your yeah. brain up. For sure. And that is one of my favorite parts of product marketing because you really get to flex your full stack muscles, if you will. So, I mean, tactically at the launch phase, it is very similar to a regular product launch. You need to understand how to position the product based on what customers need and what's competitively differentiated. You need to build a strong launch plan that leverages as many channels and touch points as you can get. You need to work with the product team to make sure it's easy for customers to discover and to onboard. But you You do all that kind of at a 10x scale. And in addition to that, there's a ton of strategic work that happens before that that you usually don't see either at all or as much of in a traditional product launch. So for example, you spend a lot of time on the ICP, the ideal customer profile and the target audience to make sure you really, really understand their needs and their buying journey. You work with the product team on the roadmap to make sure it is informed by those customer needs and the competitive landscape, and it reinforces your positioning. There's also a ton of work on the strategy side of how this fits into the company portfolio. So are you primarily focused on cross-selling to existing customers, or is this expanding your total addressable market, for example? So you're focused on new customers. You have to think about what's going to be your beachhead or your foot in the door, and how do you expand from there? Essentially, just everything that surrounds your, you know, where to play and how to win for this product line. Of course, there's a ton of work on pricing and packaging, as well as you have to think about how customers will discover and purchase this product. So it really is like a startup within a startup with its own revenue model and forecast. So it's kind of the closest thing to being a CMO you can get without actually being a CMO. That sounds so exciting. And I I love one thing you talked about in particular, which was fitting it in with the strategy of the existing company. And that might mean actually expanding the strategy to a brand Mm -hmm. new market or, you know, understanding that this product line does fit for that suite. But I think that is, in my experience, a step that a lot of companies skip. Mm -hmm. They sort of think, oh, wow, you know, I have this amazing brand. People know me for this product or technology we have is coming out. Let's just sell it to our existing customer base because we know them, but that's, Mm -hmm. that really misses the market. It's almost, it's exactly like you said, it's a startup within a startup, its own business, and you need to treat it as such. Have you learned that along the way, or is that something you have had experience with too, with fighting those battles? Yeah. I mean, definitely learned that the hard way and, and by doing it, but that's some of my favorite work is those strategy conversations and figuring out exactly, like you said, not only what is the strategy for this product line, but how does it change the overall company positioning and company strategy? You know, does this deepen engagement within your existing customer base? Does it allow you to tell a different narrative around, you know, what you're able to offer to the market? Does it allow you to unlock a whole new segment of customers that hadn't really been accessible before? So you really have to think of it holistically as well as for just that product line. 
That's really clever. And what about getting started with a product line? Who usually comes up with that idea? Is that you? Is it in combination with the product team? Is it senior leadership or is it kind of a combination? Yeah, it can come from a, a bunch of places. So at Dropbox, the Dropbox paper product line that we built was actually the result of an acquisition. So that was, you know, kind of at the strategic level among the CEO and, and leadership to determine, okay, this is a new area of investment that we want to explore. I've also done it where it's driven out of product marketing, where we determine, you know, to effectively win in this segment with this type of customer, we really need a dedicated offering. So while that's not necessarily a product line, it could be a sub-brand or something like that often originates from product marketing where we say, okay, the most likely to be successful strategy in this area is to kind of build your own offering with its own roadmap, its own pricing and packaging, its own messaging and positioning, even sometimes its own visual identity or name. And that will allow us to go after this segment most effectively. That's super helpful. And what about post-launch? So I know that's always the classic product marketers foil is that we're really known for the launch and the success and the champagne when the yeah. launch as well. <laughs> but what do you need to consider for the product line to be successful post-launch? Absolutely. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, with a regular product launch, we all say, you know, it can't just be a flash in the pan. It needs to have ongoing momentum and adoption. But oftentimes, in, at least in the teams I've worked on, there's so much going on and so many things to do that sometimes you launch it and then it's on to the next. For a new product line, it's totally different. You really do need to have a dedicated person or ideally a dedicated team resource to think about this product line. They need to look at the revenue and how it's trending compared to targets, how adoption is going. There's new features on that roadmap that you develop that you'll need to launch. You really need to look at how customers are discovering it, whether that's panning out like you thought it would, or you need to kind of call an audible there. Onboarding are, are people discovering it and then finding it easy to use and adopt or in product work you have to do to fix that. And then of course, working with the rest of the marketing team to drive awareness, consideration, acquisition. That can be one of actually the most difficult parts is because when you launch a second product line, there's a ton of change management at the company where you, know, you have to continually reinforce to the rest of the company. Like we're no longer just this product. We also have this product and that changes the way we talk about ourselves. That changes the way the performance marketing team does their demand generation campaigns and the way the brand marketing team talks about our products. So there's also a good amount of kind of internal education that needs to happen around. Here's how you talk about these two product lines. And here's when you talk about this one versus this one. And here's how you talk about them together. So important. And I think you know, I've been at companies where we've launched a new product line as kind of a means to an end to actually get us to have a new umbrella mm -hmm. positioning and not be seen as such a one trick pony. But yes, mm -hmm. the most challenging part of that was the change management and getting everyone on the same page. I remember actually leading an all hands to the engineering team, which I was extremely <laughs> intimidated about. And I had to boil down our positioning to engineers. So they would be able to kind of get it and be able to talk about it because they're out there in the market. A lot of them are really popular influencers. And I wanted to make sure that they had the story right too, but every part of the organization needs to understand that you are not just what you were three months ago. It is an evolution there. So I'm glad you mentioned that. One other piece I wanted to dig into was 
you mentioned a lot of the business teams that need to be kind of stood up around this new product line, like marketing, probably biz ops, you know, the, the revenue teams that are taking a look at it. But I also wanted to understand what about customer support or sales? Have you seen that usually they spin up a brand new team right away, or is it something that they see the success and then they add them in? And in, it, in the meantime, it's the sellers straddling both. How does that usually work? Yeah, I've seen it work a bunch of different ways. So at Clavio for our SMS product, we actually spun up a separate sales team that was focused on cross-selling SMS into our existing base. So the larger sales team, the general sales team would be responsible for talking about, you know, our email product and our SMS product to net new customers. But there was a separate sales motion for expanding the deployments of our existing customers. I've also seen a Dropbox paper was an expansion and adoption play that was not actually monetized. So we were selling only to existing customers and it was entirely self-serve. So there wasn't a sales team there. And that both of those models have all kinds of implications for the types of enablement you need, the, you know, working with the growth teams on discovery and onboarding. And there's no one right way to do it, but it depends on where the second product line fits into the company strategy and how you're monetizing it. Got it. And do you find that it's helpful to have executive level or sort of top-down communication about the importance, especially when you're asking teams to just now take on another product line. So I'm thinking of even things like saying, hey, this new product line should now be 30% of your budget and your resources or something like that. Have you found anything that has worked well with that? Absolutely. Yeah. You need to think about sales incentives. You know, are you incentivizing the sales teams on cross-sell or uh, upsell there? You need to think about, you know, what percentage of the demand generation budget should go to one product versus the other, for example. It's tricky operationally because there are a bunch of resources that are now shared resources, and then you have to carve out, you know, resources for each of the product lines. So it definitely requires executive input to figure out what that looks like, even from like a revenue accounting standpoint. Super helpful to understand. Well, thank you. I'd love to switch topics now and talk a little bit about another area you love, which I'm very impressed by because these intimidate me, but it's big launch events. (laughs) Tell us more. When do you do big launch events? When do you think that they work really well? Yeah. So big launch events are really great for, especially when you want press and analyst coverage, when you have a big product release to announce, or you want to put you know, some more ammunition behind changing a narrative. So for example, one big product event that I led at Dropbox was to change the narrative from, we are a single person productivity tool to a team collaboration software. And there's a bunch of storytelling that you have to do there. And it really helps to have kind of a captive audience, at least for 20, 30 minutes to be able to tell that story and and really land it. But it's also great to do regularly to really demonstrate that you have a fast pace of innovation, especially if you have multiple launches coming out of different areas of the product that might seem disjointed if you don't have opportunity to tell that story around them and to show how they all fit together. So a launch event can be really great at bringing together different product releases that may seem disjointed into a really cohesive and strong narrative. So important. I love that piece about the bundling and bringing together all the different pieces of the narrative, because sometimes you're kind of at a loss looking at your launch calendar. How do all of these fit together and how can I actually get them out? And how can I get 
anyone in the press to care about it. And it's right. bundling and having that big event. That's really helpful. What about during COVID? I mean, I'm sure that obviously we all have stories about, you know, switching to virtual, but have launch events still been a major part of your strategy over the past year and a half, two years now? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say it's actually become more important in COVID and more accessible because you don't have the in-person venue to book and the catering and all those other aspects that come with in-person. You just have to worry about the virtual presentation. So we actually do these big launch events quarterly at Clavio. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. And we have two full-time people who are dedicated to working with the product team on what we're going to launch and building that narrative and writing the script and working on the product demos and then the whole launch campaign that follows from that. And they're a ton of work. (laughs) They're very resource intensive, but they've been incredibly effective. And it really has, it's gone a long way to shape the narrative around Clavio and to really build momentum and buzz around, wow, they keep shipping these big things every quarter. And we're, you know, it's a great opportunity to be top of mind regularly. That's amazing. And one really tactical question, since you do them quarterly, I'm curious, how long is each event? They're 25 minutes. Oh my God. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we started with a half hour and then we looked at how long people were actually watching and they, you know, dropped off around I think, 23 minutes. So we decided to aim for 25 minutes. And our goal for each one of them has been to keep as many people engaged for as long as possible. And we do see every event as we get better at them, that the length of time that people are watching and engaged has gone up and up and up. That's wonderful. Well, wow. That's really refreshing to hear. I think, you know, even at Adobe, we're still doing multi-day events and I always get pings for going to content events that are several hours each day mm-hmm. during the course of weekends. It's just so hard to make the time. For some reason, it's a lot easier to be out of office and go fly somewhere for those conferences, but it's really hard to make the time at your computer. So 25 minutes. You Absolutely. And especially now, I think people are getting real Zoom fatigue and virtual event fatigue. And whereas it was novel in the beginning of the pandemic to say, okay, we have all these sessions, I'll block off a day and I'll do this session over here. People I think now are more like, okay, give me the news, give me the nuts and bolts so I can go on with my day. That is great. And what about how you track success? So we talked a little bit about the point of doing these events, but can you talk a little bit more tactically about how you know the event is successful or not? Yeah, definitely. So we look at metrics throughout the funnel. So awareness, we look at PR coverage, social mentions, both the volume of the mentions and the sentiment, you know, are people excited about it? Also, whether they pick up on your positioning and your messaging, that's always um, an important thing to look at. Engagement, we look at, of course, viewership and attendance, as well as engagement with the launch campaign. So blog posts, social posts, emails, etc. Acquisition, of course. So revenue, how much Revenue does it drive both from acquiring net new customers and expanding existing customers and then adoption. So are people actually checking out and using the new product functionality that you announced? So awesome. I love that it's a mix of sort of the more paid media, the kind of vanity metrics, reach, but also then getting into the metrics the CEO is going to care about revenue adoption, you know, how are we actually moving the needle on that? So that seems like a really well-rounded way to look at the metrics that matter. So thanks for sharing that. 
All right, here's one of my favorite questions. <laughs> what can go wrong? <laughs> oh my gosh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I think we should do a whole episode on launch and event fails, but I'll, I'll oh. figure that one. That's going to be a fun one. <laughs> I have enough content for multiple episodes there. No, I mean, that's the thing about these big launch events. They're high risk and high reward. So uh, a lot can go wrong, but when you do it well, they're incredibly effective. So, you know, two main things areas where I've seen things go wrong are live demos. Again, high risk, high reward. There's something so powerful about just seeing something work live and knowing that, you know, it wasn't just engineered and produced on the back end. I think it's really powerful for customers, but that presents a whole host of potential issues, especially technical issues. My heart rate is rising and my palms are getting sweaty just thinking about doing a live demo. No, it's so true. Nightmare fuel for sure. And then with these events, the lead time tends to be much longer because there's a bunch of production work that needs to happen, creative editing, et cetera. And because you've promoted an event beforehand, like you don't usually do with a product launch that doesn't have an event, you have much less flexibility to change the event. So say the product team is like, Hey, this slipped and we're now three weeks behind and we're not going to be able to launch by the event. And you've already started promoting it and editing it. That presents a lot of issue. So you really have to build that into the process. So one thing that we do is we record multiple versions of the CTA. So we'll say like, and it's available today in your account. And then, and it's available in the coming weeks, (laughs) just in case that anything slips. And hopefully in the future, we'll have to do less and less of that. But as we're still, you know, building the product marketing function and building that working relationship with the product team and figuring out how these events work at Clavio, we need to build in some of that flexibility. That's so smart. I have never thought of doing that. That's great. I'm (laughs) going to take that one. Question for you on the product deadlines, because there's nothing more stressful than aligning a product launch or deliverable to a live event because of all the things you mentioned, you know, there's an actual date, people are going to show up on it. There's money behind it. Do you find that it's motivating for the product team or has that been a sticking point? Like, do they get it now that this is happening every quarter and that's, this is when they have their time to shine or has it continued to kind of be a challenge with product deadlines? So at first it was a challenge because we were asking a lot of them and it was a new motion, new cadence that they hadn't structured their R&D cadence around. So we were asking them, you know, for details and even mocks of some features that they hadn't even built yet just to be able to make our production timelines. And there was a lot of resistance to that. And then we started doing these events and they saw just how powerful they were, how much customers loved it, how much it drove adoption and awareness for the features that they had worked so hard to build. And then it really kind of changed the dynamic there where they were much more excited to work, much more excited to get their feature included in one of these upcoming events because they knew that platform was going to be really important for the success of that feature. So now it's just more of a process question where our two teams are working together to figure out, okay, how should this work so that it meets the needs of our team and the teams that are creating the event, as well as the team, we don't put undue pressure and risk that it compromises the development of the product in any way. That's really wonderful to hear. Yeah. In my experience too, whenever you're introducing something new that 
requires the product team to hit new deadlines, but even if it's a launch process, the first time around, it can be really painful, but hopefully you can show those really great metrics and develop some really good partners and internal advocates. So then the next time there's sort of a rally cry about, Hey, we need to do this. This is a huge channel for us too. They have goals too. You know, they want to have adoption. They want to have Mao increase. They want to have revenue associated with their product. So I think it's win-win, but yeah, it can be painful. So thanks for sharing how you got over that hump. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. So now switching gears a little bit too, as a woman in tech or a mom in tech, especially in this product marketing type of role where you're at the epicenter of so many parts of the business, do you have any advice specifically for our listeners? Yeah, I would say thinking about your career as a woman in product marketing, especially in tech, there are a few things that I've found are important to keep in mind. One is to advocate for yourself. So I feel like I got lucky. My first couple product marketing roles where I had these amazing mentors and sponsors within the company who made sure that my work was getting visibility and that I was getting promotions and, you know, put up for these big stretch assignments that would continue to build my skill set. But then I discovered that's sometimes the exception to the rule and you don't always get that lucky. So you really do have to champion your own success and generate visibility for the great work that you're doing. And it can be super uncomfortable. This is something that I've had to like grin and bear for a while until it feels a little bit more natural. Unfortunately, you can't really rely on others to do it for you. So it is a skill set that you have to get more comfortable with. And is that to your managers, is that to peers, is that on LinkedIn, all of the above? But I love this advice and I agree. It's something women are not very good at generally. So I'd love to hear more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you have to find a way that feels authentic to you. So whether that's, you know, sending your manager a, a weekly or monthly email about like, hey, you know, just wanted to make sure you have visibility into the status of all of these projects and then make sure that it showcases the great work that you've done. Or, you know, it can be doing a kind of lunch and learn with your peers and saying like, hey, this is something that I think other people would find valuable that I've learned over the past quarter. And it happens to showcase some of the work that you've done. Or if you're more comfortable sharing on LinkedIn about big product launches or things that you're proud of, I think that's also a great avenue too, but it looks different for everyone. And I would say where the rubber meets the road is often in the career conversations and performance reviews and things like that, where I found it can be stressful and uncomfortable to say, Hey, here's what I want out of my career. And here's what I'm looking for. And here's what I think I deserve after all of the work that I've done. And just make sure that your manager is on the same page and talk about that together. I mean, the best managers are ones that want to see you succeed and and achieve all your goals in your career and at that company and make that a partnership. And instead of thinking like you're bragging or asking too much for yourself. Like it really, you are doing what's best for your career as well as for, for the company to make sure that you're happy and fulfilled and growing. That's amazing. And I love the approach of all of what you said, but in particular, the snippets where you're just sending kind of a biweekly update or monthly update, they may not even respond back to you, but I would read that as a manager and kind of take those nuggets. And then when I'm talking to my manager or my peers, I'd be like, Jenna's crushing it. Have you heard about all the things that she's doing? Especially if you have numbers associated with it and can talk about influence or even quotes 
from stakeholders that are happy. I love sharing those in a Slack group with people and saying, look what the sales leader said. He loves the work we're doing, just stuff like that. It just gets this momentum where it's not even just about you. It can be about your team and the project you're working on, but just sharing the gold star moments, I think is really important. Absolutely. And now being on the other side of it too, I recognize that the best thing you can do for your manager's success is to have you be successful as well. When your team is successful, you are more successful and they're going to want to promote your success to their manager and to the leadership because that makes them look good too. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, I can't believe it, but it's already time for our rapid fire questions. (laughs) So let's move into that. Who have been your strongest mentors along the way and what advice do you have for that? Yeah, I've been so lucky here. I got to work with Sheila Vashi, who established the product marketing function at Dropbox. And she gave me the opportunity to try it out and has supported me along the way, identified opportunities for me to continue to grow my skill set. And she still is a great mentor and sounding board for me. I've also been working for a couple of years now with a product marketing coach and professional development kind of executive coach who is just a fantastic resource. His name's Todd Enders. He used to be a VP of product marketing at Salesforce and now is a consultant for various tech startups. And he's helped me not only continue to refine my product marketing craft, but really grow into my new roles as manager and a manager of managers and do so in a way that made me feel, you know, more confident and like I was really prepared for what was next. And then even though she's not technically a product marketer, my old boss at Upwork, Jale Bisharat, and she was the VP of marketing there was such an amazing mentor and continues to be because she really champions customer-centric marketing and leading with empathy. So I'm lucky to continue to learn from her. Those sound like a wonderful board of mentors for you. And I'm kind of blown away that Todd is a product marketing coach. Did I hear that right? I didn't know that existed. (laughs) I almost didn't even want to say his name because I don't want the word to get out because he is such a secret weapon. He has an amazing skill set of being able to dive in and like write a messaging framework or a launch plan if you're under-resourced, but also, you know, coaches everyone from junior right out of college PMMs to think about how to develop their skill set all the way to VPs um, and even the CMO. Yeah. So he's been a really valuable resource and I would encourage people to consider that outside kind of counsel, if you will, like not enough people think about that, having someone that they can rely on in that way. I didn't even know that existed. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Great product market fit, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And how do you find a mentor? It sounds like a lot of your experience has been working with people and having that kind of organic relationship. Is that the mindset you want to approach when you're actually working with people or is there anything to share about how you find the right person? Yeah, I I think the best mentorships do happen organically. So it is so important to, when you're evaluating a potential new role or a new company to look at the people there and the leadership and ask if these are people that you can learn from. And then when you do find someone that you click with and you're learning a lot from, you know, it doesn't have to be like that formal awkward, will you be my mentor? (laughs) But, you know, just continuing to ask for their advice and see if they're open to that and be respectful of their time, but also just use them as a sounding board if you can. And if, if they're open to that, it can be, you know, something that lasts many, many years. That's wonderful. I know this is probably hard to boil down, but what is one thing that has been really important to you in growing your career? 
Yeah, I would say getting a broad and diverse foundation of experiences before moving into people management. So Jolay, who I mentioned earlier, once told me the story of how she got a promotion ahead of someone else who had just come up through email marketing, for example, because she had a more well-rounded background and you know how that is so important because not only are you able to draw from different experiences and different functions and different skill sets to have a much more strategic and holistic view of product marketing, but you can also be a much more effective collaborator with those functions because you understand a little bit about their life and their day-to-day and what they care about. And you can also manage people much more effectively when you have a sense of what their work is like. So if you're asking like, Hey, can you put this together? You have some context that it's, you know, five hours of work versus a half hour and what good looks like. So I generally tell people, don't be afraid to get a bunch of different experiences and in related areas, or if you really are all in on product marketing, look at different types of companies at different stages and different industries with different types of sales models. And that makes you a much more strategic and adaptable product marketer. Such great advice. I haven't heard that before. I love that. But yeah, as you're thinking about becoming a people manager, what do you bring to the table? How can you have this breadth of experience? That's really, really great. Yeah. I would say it's not always the most comfortable thing, especially if you see on LinkedIn or wherever your peers are all at directors and VPs and you're thinking to yourself, wait, what am I not at that level? But if you really invest in getting that broad experience first, instead of just going directly for the title, it's, you know, the difference between short-term success that might not be as sustainable versus you're setting yourself up for long-term success. So kind of like the tortoise and the hare or the turtle in there. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Networking. Love it. Hate it. What do you do about it? <laughs> Honestly, I don't think too much about it. And that is, might be a hot take, but I, I just think about relationships and the, the people that I'm working with, the people that I have worked with, how do I keep those relationships strong? So if somebody reaches out and asks for advice or just to pick my brain on something or an aspiring product marketer reaches out and asks for advice, I try to be as generous with my time as I can to offer that help and to keep those relationships strong because that's, I think, where most of the opportunities come from. And they'll introduce you to someone else that they think you might like, or they identify an opportunity or a role for you. So it's less about, to me, finding new people to network with and more keeping your existing relationships as strong as possible so they can help you expand your network. That's great advice. Why product marketing? An open question. Why do you love it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it so much. So I love it because it is a mix of strategic and creative and analytical. And I still get to do some writing, which I love. You get to connect with people and tell stories. Storytelling is one of my favorite things. My family could (laughs) tell you about how they never got a word in edgewise at our dinner table growing up because I would just tell all these stories of my day. And you know, these things are so core to product marketing, building relationships, connecting different concepts and different people from around the company. And then you get a great front row seat to really the inner workings of business strategy. And you get to shape 
how the company goes to market and it's your big influence on their success. So I, I just find it so challenging, so engaging and so fun. So awesome. All right. Last question for you, Jenna, how did you get to where you are? Oh, lots of late nights and early mornings, taking risks and being vulnerable and seeking advice as often as I can from mentors and peers. That is fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your insights today. I am so thrilled we got to meet and have this conversation. I think the listeners are going to love it and just best of luck to you in the rest of your career and with your adorable baby too. Congratulations. Such a great career ahead and just so excited to keep following you. Thank you so much, Mary. It was great to chat with you. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, HighSpot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. That wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe and share with someone you think will love it. Next week, we explore building allies and confidence with Meg Murphy, the CMO of Systems and Partner Ecosystem at IBM. Thanks for all of your support and catch you next week.